With an important key to effective ministry, here's Pastor Ed Taylor. Our God is faithful, and He's going to continue to remind you and remind you and remind you. So listen up, you parents, you grandparents, friends, teachers, leaders. If you want to be used greatly of the Lord, you really need to grasp this truth. Understand it exercise it. You really want to be used greatly by the Lord. The key to effective ministry is continually reminding folks of what they already know. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. We're always on the lookout for some new way to be effective and successful in life and ministry, but in doing so, we tend to overlook the basics. Like, for example, the three most important rules of teaching, repetition, repetition, repetition. Hello, and glad you've joined us today on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. We're making our way verse by verse through Romans. Here now with today's teaching on the importance of reminders is Pastor Ed. So Romans 15 is where we are. We pick up in verse 14 where we left off, where Paul is encouraging the church in Rome. He says in Romans 15, 14, he tells the church in Rome that he's confident in them. He knows that they're full of moral goodness. He knows that they're filled with knowledge, and he wants to encourage them that they can counsel one another, they can admonish one another, they can serve one another with the word. And isn't it true... Isn't it true that it is so wonderful to receive encouragement at the right time? I mean, you're having a bad day, your week has been a mess, and that phone call comes in at just the right time, it's the right person with the right words, and you're like, oh, thank you. Oh, Lord, you're so good to encourage me. And there are those people in our lives, right, that just are encouragers. When we get to the book of Acts, we're going to be introduced to a man by the name of Barnabas. His nickname was a son of encouragement. And that's what he was. You can just see him always encouraging, always having the right words, always being there at the right time because some people are just gifted with that discernment and that ability to encourage. It's wonderful to be encouraged. I even found a verse in the Proverbs. You can jot it down in Proverbs chapter 25, verse 25. It says this. As cold water to a weary soul, so is good news from a far country. It's good to be encouraged. And even though there isn't a single rebuke in all of the letter to the Romans, they still needed to be encouraged. Because verse 15 opens up, nevertheless. And you're like, oh no, Paul, now what? Because nevertheless is like, but, you know? Everything's great, you know, everything, but. And you're like, oh no, what now? But it's very good. This, nevertheless, is actually good. Nevertheless, brethren, I've written more boldly to you on some points as reminding you because of the grace given to me by God that I might be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Paul was bold with them on a few things. Paul was bold with them, not to rebuke them, but to emphasize the grace of God. 
And we've seen it throughout the letter. He was bold with the Roman church, which means he was bold with us, challenging us, stretching us, teaching us. And there are certainly time for encouraging messages. There's certainly a time for encouragement, and there's certainly a time for boldness. Now, two things you see throughout scriptures. If you're taking notes, you want to take note of this. There is a companion ministry along with encouragement, and that is the ministry of exhortation. So you have the two complementary ministries, encouragement and exhortation. There's a difference between the two. When you see encouragement in the scriptures and when you receive it yourself, encouragement, somebody, God sends you someone to encourage you. You know what they do? They lift you up. That's what encouragers do. You're just kind of there and you're bummed out and you're going through it and you're wrestling with stuff. And God sends somebody says, come on, man, it's going to be all right. Things are going to be okay. Don't worry about that. Hey, let's pray about that. Let's go, you know, let's just seek the Lord over that. Let's go get a cup of coffee. Let's talk about, and they just, it's like, yes, Lord, send me encouragers. I need to get up. I, I need to be built up. I need to be edified. And encouragement has its place. But you know, there's also the ministry of exhortation. Because once a person comes to encourage you and lift you up, an exhorter then comes to move you on. Say, okay, now you've been here too long. It's time to move on. It's time to go forward. Come on, you can't stay here all the time. Come on, what are you doing? Why are you still here? And so you got the encourager saying, oh, come on. And you got the exhorter saying, oh, come on, you know? And you know, we really like encouragement. We're not too excited about exhortation. You know, we're really excited. Oh, yeah, you made me feel so good. But an exhortation doesn't always immediately make you feel so good. It takes some time for it to settle in. It takes some time for you to respond to it. And once you do, and the Lord blesses that, then you come to understand, oh, hey, hey, that was cool. Oh, that's good. Oh, yeah, that's wonderful. It didn't feel good at the beginning, but, oh, I needed to be challenged there. I couldn't settle on my lees. You know, I couldn't just be there and just hang out and not make any... I needed to move on. I needed to get up. I needed, you know, sometimes an exhorter will use the phrase, you just need to get over it. Oh, you get, get over what? No, you just need to get over it and move on. And those of you that have been here from Calvary long enough, you know that a lot of the ministry that God has called me to is those bold types of speaking and exhortation. Oh, I love to be used by God to encourage, and I, I love exercising, being used by God to lift people up, and there's a time for that, but you know that there are many times here at Calvary where you're going to be challenged, where you're going to be stretched, where there's going to be a, hey, come on, guys, let's go. You know, I'm praying over the church, praying over your lives, and come on, let's move on. Let's go forward. Let's take the kingdom of God. Let's fight the good fight. And that's what Paul's doing. He's giving them encouragement, but he's also giving exhortation and Paul does both in just a few verses I want you to notice again in verse 15 that Paul says nevertheless brethren I've written more boldly to you on some points as reminding you he's reminding them this isn't something that it was new to them it wasn't new information Paul found it necessary inspired by the Holy Spirit to remind them to bring things back to their memory because of the grace of God and you know, Paul was reminding the church. You want to know why? He was reminding the church because they needed to be reminded, just like you and me. He was reminding them, because I don't know if you've noticed, but as the odometer of age keeps clicking away, something happens in our minds. For some of us, not all of us, but some of us. And this is what I've found. I have found over the years that I remember things 
that I really want to forget. I mean, I remember things, and, and I'm like, I don't want to think of that. What am I remembering that for? But some memory pops up, some songs, and I'm like, I don't remember that. And then on the other side, I forget the things that I want to remember. Now, something will go into short-term memory and never make its way to the back in the long-term memory. It just gets getting replaced and replaced and replaced, and I and you need to be reminded. I'll show you a great picture of that. Would you turn over to 2 Peter chapter 1? Peter does really the best job of establishing the need for us to be reminded because we forget things. Things slip our mind. We get distracted. We forget. Oh, we remember things all right, but usually they're things that we don't want to remember. And we forget the things that we need to remember. And so I love what Peter says here. He gives us a great model. We're going to pick up in verse 12, 2 Peter chapter 1. He says, Therefore, I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things, though you know them. Same thing Paul said. I know you know them, but I'm going to remind you so that you might be established or rooted in them. So you might be made stable, that word means, to be constant. Then he says, verse 13, Yes, I think it's right as long as I'm in this tent to stir you up by reminding you, knowing that shortly I must put off my tent just as the Lord Jesus Christ showed me. He says, okay, I'm going to remind you. As long as I'm alive, I'm going to remind you. And then notice verse 15, Moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after I die. And you know what? He did it. Because in writing this letter, a couple thousand years later, Peter's still reminding the church of the things that we know and need to know. Because we forget. Our minds are human. And they get crowded with all sorts of information. And we need to be reminded. We need to be reminded right now. We need to be reminded tomorrow. We need to be reminded until we meet Jesus face to face. Peter's like saying, and same thing Paul's saying, I know you know this stuff. But you need to be reminded. I mean, for those of you that are parents, you can totally relate. Kids, you need to clean your room. Okay, Dad. Half hour later, you go up and you look at the room and you go, Hey, I told you guys to clean the room. Huh, Dad? What? What, you told us what? Clean the... Okay, Dad, no problem. They go back to the room. A half hour later, you go up and you're like, Hey, hey, I asked you to clean your room. What, Dad? You asked what? The room? Oh, okay, we'll get to it in a moment. They go back up. You go by another half hour. And you look at the room. And you say, hey, it's time to clean your room. And what do the kids say? Huh? Dad? Clean my room? Okay. And this time you lock the door and the lock's on the outside, right? Just clean the room, you're not coming out. (laughs) You know, it's like they get distracted, they get caught away. And even our kids, you know, they remind us because I'm sure it happens with you. You're at work and God, he grabs your attention and he says, Hey, hey Ed, your mouth. What, Lord? Yeah, you need to deal with that. That, Your mouth, you need to... Okay, no problem. Half hour later, the Lord comes knocking. He says, Hey, Ed, your mouth. And you go, What? My mouth? Yeah, I just talked to you about it a half hour ago. Okay, all right, I'll, I'll take care of it. Half hour goes later, and the Lord comes back, and he says, Hey, Ed, your mouth. My response, what? My mouth? What's wrong with my mouth? I love the Lord. You know, you start singing, and the Lord speaking gently to your heart in that still, small voice. You keep forgetting, son. 
You keep forgetting even in a half hour's time, even in a hour's time, that your mouth is not glorifying me or your mind is not glorifying me or your attitude is not glorifying me or your actions not glorifying me and we receive it and we say, okay, Lord, and then throughout the day we go right back to the same thing and God shows up again and he says, hey, 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 what are you doing? And our response is, huh? What do you mean, what are we doing? And in his gentleness, he says, hey, I've been working on this on you for a long time. And I'm going to continue to remind you and remind you and remind you because the pattern of your life seems to say that you keep forgetting. It's how the Lord works, right? So you're grabbed and grasped by some biblical truth. Maybe something here today. God speaks to your heart and you grab it, but you don't really want to take it. So you dismiss it. But then you go home, you go out to lunch perhaps, you go home, you turn on the radio, and there's a song on the radio, and you know what the topic is? Exactly what the Lord told you here. So you click, I don't want to hear that. (laughs) Next song. And then you go throughout your day, and you go up, you wake up in the morning, you're on your way to work, you turn on your favorite Bible teacher, and guess what he's teaching? Oh yeah, the same thing you turned off last night. As you go, click, I don't know, I'll wait till he's another series, you know, another Bible study. And you go into work and you're ready for your day. You open up your email box and a brother sent you a verse. You know what verse it is? Exactly the one you're trying to run away from. Because our God is faithful and he's going to continue to remind you and remind you and remind you. So listen up, you parents, you grandparents, you aunts, you uncles you friends, you teachers, your leaders, if you want to be used greatly of the Lord, you really need to grasp this truth. Understand it, live with it, exercise it. You really want to be used greatly by the Lord. The key to effective ministry is continually reminding folks of what they already know. That your ministry is a continual reminder. You know, there's not a lot of difficult doctrines in the Bible. There are a few. There are a few doctrines that God has given to us that we can't wrap our mind his ways or not our ways, and they're going to keep us seeking him forever, and that's awesome. But do you know most of the Bible is profoundly simple? It's a simple message to those of us that receive it simply. It's a message of God's love, his connection to you, his work and his outreach to you to draw you to himself. As his creation, we've been so marred by sin that we've run away from God. Not unlike Adam and Eve, that when they fell into sin, what did they do? They ran away to hide from God. You might have been living your whole life trying to hide from God, and continually the message has come to you, I love you, I love you, I've sent my son Jesus Christ to die for you. Your sins, they can be forgiven. I love you, I love you. There's just a simplicity of the scriptures that need to be repeated all the time. Because our minds are so human, we forget the things that we should remember and we remember the things that we need to forget. And so it's important to say the same things over and over and over again as we're teaching and as we're living to establish each other in the truth. That's where Paul is now back in Romans 15. He's reminding them, just like Peter's reminding them, just like Jesus reminded us. Pick up in verse 17 now. It says, therefore, I have reason to glory in Christ Jesus and the things which pertain to God. For I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ has not accomplished through me, 
in word and deed, to make the Gentiles obedient, in mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and round about to Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. Paul's life, his aim in life was to preach the gospel anywhere and everywhere, and what a phenomenal preacher he was. He was a true preacher to his generation. You can jot this down in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. It was to the Corinthian church that Paul said this. Listen, verse 16. For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of. For necessity is laid upon me. Woe is me if I don't preach the gospel. I wonder if you have something in your life where your heart is, woe is me if I don't do this for the Lord. Woe is me that God has placed this necessity upon me. I know my calling. I know my place in the body because Paul knew his place. He was a preacher, unashamed of the gospel. Remember he said earlier on in Romans, I'm unashamed of the gospel, he said, because it is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe, for the Jew first and also for the Gentile, for the Greek. He wasn't ashamed of the gospel. And he was very, very successful. Notice how much he he just preached everywhere, everywhere he went. and, And there was fruit from it. People getting saved all over the place. God was using him greatly. And whenever I see great success in the scriptures, I always ask the question, why, Lord? What was it about their life that really made them a useful vessel in your hand? What is it about Paul? I mean, we could look at a lot of things. Paul did a lot of things, but I think we can narrow it down to one. And if you want to write next to verse 18 in your Bible, you can write this word. I think it's key. I think God used Paul in such a crazy, radical way because of his humility. This brother was a humble man. Now, of course, of course, with Paul, he was given a thorn in his side to keep him humble. But whatever it takes, Lord. He cried out for three times. Remember to have it removed? The answer was no way. You need it, Paul. And Paul settled, okay, I receive it. I don't know what it is that you need to keep you humble, but God's willing to. Because that place of humility is a place of strength, a place of fruitfulness. He says it right here in verse 18. I will not dare speak of any of those things which Christ has not accomplished through me in word and deed to make the Gentiles obedient. I mean, what he's saying is that I'm not going to say anything about what I've done, only what Jesus has done through me. I'm not going to elevate all that I have done, all the work that I've done, all the studying that I've done, all the everything. You know what? I'm going to brag. I mean, I guess you could say it this way. Paul's saying, if I'm going to brag and boast, I'm going to brag on Jesus Christ and what he's done in my life. If you're going to hear a boasting from me, I'm going to boast on the Lord. I'm going to boast in what he's allowed me to be a part of. If it's education that's God used in my life, then I'm going to thank him for allowing me to have it. I mean, if it's some kind of wisdom that he's given me over the years, then I'm going to thank God for the wisdom he's given me. And I love that, humility. Because none of us can take credit. None of us can take credit for the things that God has done. Not one of us. Like Paul in Galatians chapter 2, we have to continually be reminded that I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ that lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I'm not going to boast in what I've done. I'm going to boast in the Lord. I'm not going to brag on how God's used me. I'm going to brag on the Lord. That's the key to Paul's success. It's the key to yours. Here's a problem, though. We as human beings have a tendency. Listen, it's humanity. It's all around the globe. We have a tendency as human beings to elevate the instruments 
that God uses in our lives. We put them up on a pedestal, untouchable, holy, righteous, perfect, never attainable. There's a bigger problem in our own society here in the United States, here in the sphere of ministry that God has called us. We take it even one step further. And here, what I see human beings doing is we make rock stars and celebrities out of Christians. We elevate them to a place where they get adoration and borderline false worship because of the gifting that God has given to them. I mean, they sing really good and their songs inspire you because of the Lord. Oh, their teachings are riveting and man, you just get so encouraged by their Bible studies because of the Lord. They're used in a great way and their influence spreads around the world because of the Lord, not because of them. And so we need to be very, very careful that we don't elevate people to some rock star status as Christians. We're all believers. We're all servants of the Lord and we all serve together. We so quickly attach ourselves to other humans. They don't have to be very well known, but in the church, we so quickly attach ourselves to each other. Now, let's put a word of balance here, just so you understand. God uses humans to reach other humans. That's the way it is. That's always the way it's going to be. God is going to use another human being in your life, for sure, constantly, continually. But there is that danger that we begin to attach ourselves to other humans with the idea of, oh, no, I could never live without you. Yeah, you could. Oh, no, what will I do without your counsel? Maybe you'll seek the Lord. Maybe you'll pray to God. Now, that's not God. That doesn't mean that God's not going to use those people in your life. But if you're one of those that tend to attach yourself to a person instead of giving your full attention to the Lord, watch out. It's a very dangerous place. Because let me tell you something. People come and go in our lives. But Jesus Christ has promised me that he will never leave me and never forsake me. And I can count on that. I know that people are going to come and go in my life until I meet Jesus face to face. I know that. Doesn't mean it doesn't hurt or you wish it didn't happen. Of course it does. But it's going to happen. And in my life, I don't want to attach myself too much to a human being that replaces my dedication to the Lord. I want to acknowledge. I want to acknowledge God using him in my life. Thank them, appreciate them, send them a note of encouragement for sure. But I don't want to attach myself to them. So let's look on the other end of that. Let's just say God has used you greatly in someone's life. God's used you, and you're blessed. It's awesome. It's wonderful. Let me warn you of the danger of pride, because that puts you and me into a big temptation of becoming prideful. It often starts with a compliment. Someone comes up and says, thank you. You're very important in my life. I'm so glad that God used you. Thank you for being there for me. You're a trusted friend. It's wonderful. There's nothing wrong with a compliment or appreciation at all. That's really, we should probably do it more often, shouldn't we? Just appreciating one another, encouraging one another. That's great. But you know what? Pride often starts with a compliment. It starts with a compliment, and then in our minds, we begin to nurture that compliment with some sort of self-satisfaction. And I emphasize the word self. Thanks for joining us today on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. It's part of our series in Romans. You'll find us on the web at AboundingGraceRadio.com. Let me highlight some of the features. Look for our quick links and you'll discover you can listen to our programs anytime you'd like. We also offer a free podcast too. And you can read Pastor Ed's blog there as well. 
We've also made it super easy to donate to the ministry, and there's a place to contact us, too. Speaking of which, we'd sure like to hear from you. Let us know what you think of our study in Romans and if you're finding these daily studies helpful to your walk. We'd also very much appreciate your support as we present Abounding Grace here over the radio. Again, go to AboundingGraceRadio.com. We also offer an app that makes listening to Pastor Ed's teachings really easy to do. You can download the free app by searching for Calvary Aurora. Each month, Pastor Ed picks out a book that he believes can really help you grow in grace and be the person God wants you to be. Our pick of the month is The Third Option by Miles McPherson. I don't have to remind you that we're living in a racially divided nation. You may have even heard it said Sunday morning is the most segregated time in America today. Pastor Miles shares openly what has led to this great divide both within the church and across the country. He believes instead of choosing one of two sides, there is a third option, one that is proven to bring people together and promote genuine peace. That's the third option. And we'll gladly send you a copy for a donation of $25 or more. We ask that you call to place an order at 877-30-GRACE. That's toll-free, 877-30-GRACE. We'll return to Romans next time on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. May God richly bless you with His abounding grace. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church Colorado here in Aurora. 